0: Please know, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitian's Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu.
1: Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 314, Navigating a Stool Panel. Today we'll be talking about the advanced functional stool test that we run in clinic and walking through each section from the bacteria analysis to yeast culture to parasitology to markers of digestion and absorption inflammatory markers and markers of a leaky gut so we're going to go through a stool test literally line by line and provide an interpretation as well as the interventions and we'll talk about who this test is appropriate for if this sounds like something that you're wanting to consider
2: Yes. So there are many indicators of intestinal enteropathy or leaky gut, as well as dysbiosis or parasite or yeast overgrowth in the body. And we've covered a lot of episodes now at this point at episode 314 on these topics. So we will link an episode for you guys on leaky gut. We will also link an episode on uh, SIBO, excuse me, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth versus dysbiosis. I believe that's what we called it. And um, that really talks about different antimicrobial, antiviral, antifungal tools and how many can overlap when you're looking at treatment modalities. And then um, we also, in today's episode, we'll be talking a little bit about the other stool tests that are offered on the market compared to what we offer through doctor's data or Genova Diagnostics, which are really requiring a medical practitioner to order versus some of those online Everly Well or other GI assessments that are out there that are really inferior when we're trying to get down to the level of a diagnosis of inflammatory bowel disease or even empowered treatment plans that are specific
1: to what your body is telling you in the data. Yes, absolutely. Um, so before we do that, let's just have a few brief updates. So at the time that this episode airs, um, we've been having an ongoing flash sale on our 12-week keto meal plan. And for podcast listeners, we're going to go ahead and extend that offer. Um, the offer is $10 off our 12-week meal plan with the code Keto 10. And this is a fabulous tool, especially as we're just, you know, weeks away from Halloween at this point. Yes. Headed into the holidays to really start to establish some routine within your household to kind of get a harness on, you know, your family's nutrition and this meal plan is going to provide you a weekly meal plan, a weekly challenge um, to accelerate your food as medicine in your household and a weekly grocery list that literally tells you down to, you know, the amount of pounds or ounces um, of protein that you need to the number of cups of produce and all of the other things that should be stocked in your natural foods pantry that you need to complete that week's worth of recipes. It provides really fabulous inspiration if you're feeling in a little bit of a food rut and um, definitely has some fantastic recipes coming into the fall season. I'm thinking The um, almond flour, pumpkin, everything bagels are going to be a fabulous add-on. Um, for folks and the, um, fall carnitas, I forget, warming carnitas, I think they're called, um, also really comes to mind with that butternut
2: squash puree. Yeah. So good. So there's also parts of our 12 week keto meal plan where we encourage you on how to explore different forms of fasting as well as metabolic flexibility and where small amounts of carbs might fit to support even your ketogenic outcomes. So go on over to allymillerrd.com and check that out and use the code KETO10 to get $10 off. That makes it less than the cost of even a black coffee, not even a, a fancy latte per week. Right. Yes.
1: <laughs> All right. And second up, we're super excited to have a new sponsor for the Naturally Nourished Podcast, Carnivore Snacks. Yes. We shared about
2: meeting them in our KetoCon wrap-up episode, and um, we were just really Shocked to taste these carnivore snacks and really experience the texture and the flavor profile, which is bar none beyond anything like it on the market. It's two ingredients of deliciousness. So we're talking just straight up quality pasture-raised grass-fed meats with Redmond real salt. And we've heard people refer to these as a meat pastry, and that is so true because it literally melts in your mouth. The texture is amazing. They dehydrate slow and low to retain most of the bioavailable nutrients in meats, which we know are such a powerhouse as they are and really create this optimal buttery texture without any additives, preservatives, nitrites, or any even added flavor enhancers. This brand Carnivore Snacks is super pro-America, like all of our listeners, so all of their meats are sourced from U.S. farmers, and many of them practice regenerative agriculture. They have a big emphasis at Carnivore Snacks on a land-to-market verification through the Allen Savoy's Institute, and this actually measures soil and carbon emissions confirming that these regenerative agricultural ranchers are actually sequestering carbon so you're doing something for the environment when you're eating delicious nourishing carnivore snacks if you've tried other products on the market like jerkies or other dehydrated dried meats there's truly nothing like this meat pastry so go on over to carnivore snacks that's s-n-a-x so c-a-r-n-i-v-o-r-e-s-n-a-x dot com and use the code ally Miller RD when you use Ali Miller RD you will save 15 percent off your order and you'll get free shipping on an order of 125 dollars or
1: more and we're looking at products like their ribeye which I tried at Ketocon and was phenomenal um, their pork line pork loin uh, which yes. I have a bag of that open at home right now that I'm thinking about um, New York strip eye around they have sliders. Brisket and leg of lamb in their line, and again, it's just whatever that cut of meat is with our favorite Redmond real salt. Um, but it is so delicious, such a good flavor profile. I'm thinking I'm going to be incorporating this into Noah's lunch yes. as like a quick, easy grab snack. Absolutely, um, and then it's going to be like in my diaper bag <laughs> on yeah. the go. And If I ever travel again with two children, (laughs) I'll be taking that as well. Anything.
2: When we're talking about hanger and irritability, we all need some of that anandamide from meat. (laughs) Meat mellows us out, especially a good quality fatty meat cut. And um, these are sold in five ounce bags. What's really unique to note is that carnivore snacks, because they do dehydrate, each ounce of protein is actually going to provide higher grams than you would in its wet meat form, right? So, you know, when you're looking at an ounce of carnivore snacks, you're getting 13 to 19 grams of protein per ounce. So when you're looking at your dollar investment, you are getting easily that 20 grams of protein with just two ounces or less than half of a bag of the carnivore snack. Um, And so that's good for like a little simple post-workout recovery or could even be an amount of protein for a child at a meal on top of a salad. Um, Or you could go for the whole bag and just indulge and totally enjoy that meat pastry treat um so the bags range from 25 to 39 dollars based on the cut and form go on over to carnivoresnacks that's with an x.com use the code alliemillerrd to save 15% off your first order and get free shipping on 125 dollars or more you're going to want to try three or four different flavors my faves are the ribeye the pork loin, the brisket, and the leg of lamb. So go on over to carnivore.snacks.com and check them out.
1: All right, let's jump right in with covering who a stool test might be appropriate for. So how do I know I need to order this lab.
2: Yeah, I think first and foremost, we think of individuals that have gastrointestinal symptoms. So we're talking about individuals that have IBS, either chronic constipation or irregular bowels or bowel uh, urgency or loose urgent stools. We're talking about individuals that have inflammatory bowel disease. So this could be Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, diverticulitis. These would all be really important people to get a little bit deeper functional information A stool test could also be for someone that has continuously dealt with food sensitivities and isn't getting good full-on progression. An individual that has chronic nutritional deficiencies, especially individuals running low iron or ferritin. Often we look to a gut infection. Uh, We would look at individuals that even have just indigestion or digestive stress, reflux, heartburn, excessive gas, bloating, distension. And then even individuals that have autoimmune disease, um, so this could be rheumatoid arthritis, this could be multiple sclerosis, um, especially extending into any chronic skin condition. So if we're dealing with fungal rashes or we're dealing with psoriasis, um, this would be another population
1: that we'd really want to strongly consider. Yes. Um, and we've talked about on the podcast before, like maybe before you invest in the stool test, you know, do the probiotic challenge, um, or if you're an individual falling into kind of these categories, um, you might want to do a round of of beat the bloat.
2: Yes. So I can't agree with you enough, Becky, and we've made that point on that SIBO versus dysbiosis podcast that... All too often, when we're working with a synergy of four formulas, like our Beat the Bloat Cleanse Bundle, you're going to hit a wide web, if you will, on dysbiosis, whether it is from a gut pathogen, um, whether it is from yeast overgrowth, or whether it is even from parasite, Often we can eradicate, and especially if you're doing our Beat the Bloat program and you're layering in the GI Reset, which has the uva ursi in there and the caprylic acid and the black walnut hull, we're really getting some full spectrum coverage. Um, So definitely if you're dealing with known dysbiosis, jump into the Beat the Bloat program and Beat the Bloat bundle and start there, it's going to be a better investment to start with action versus paying for information and doing the same action anyway. And then if you're not sure what dysbiosis is or if you have dysbiosis, absolutely the probiotic challenge is even easier and cheaper than the Beat the Bloat, which would be using a bottle of our Restore Baseline probiotic and just monitoring how your body accepts those probacteria strains and if you improve or if you decline. And we'll give you the protocol in this uh, summary write-up. Yes. So in today's episode, we're going to be exploring the CDSA, or the Comprehensive Digestive Stool Analysis by Doctors data. I have used this panel, and I have used the GI effects panel through Genova Diagnostic as the two in my clinic that I feel offer a wide variety of assessments to look at both imbalance of bacterial flora in the gut, as well as assessing for pathogens, parasites, candida overgrowth, as well as digestion and malabsorption issues. We look at pancreatic enzyme output. We look at inflammation in the gut. So if there is mucus, if the lactoferrin levels or calprotectin levels are elevated, we look at the pH of the stool as well as the short chain fatty acids or end products made by the fermentation going on in the colon based on the presence of fiber combined with your probiotic flora.
1: Yeah, a ton of information, and you know, if you have gotten a stool test at your doctor's office, then they're like, "Oh, there was nothing there." A lot yes. of times, they're just screening, um, and we'll get into at the end some of the other tests, but um, they're just screening for the really significant, you know, pathogens like C. diff or Giardia. Yes, and there could be other things that they're not looking for that are driving a lot of imbalance in the body.
2: Yes, often a doctor's office is just testing for known foodborne illnesses yep. or known gut viruses and not assessing for things like enterobacter or klebsiella. Mm-hmm. And these are known pathogens that can drive inflammatory bowel disease as well as autoimmune disease. So, if you're having if your body's telling you that something's off and your doctor said your stool's fine, definitely
1: consider looking at a functional lab. Yes. Um, I think the one <laughs> question i get so often is how exactly like i get that it's a stool test how mm-hmm. exactly do i do that let's let's just go through kind of what the prep is and yes. and what that three-day assessment would look like i mean first and foremost yes you're collecting your poop you're collecting yes. your stool yes at home so in the comfort there, of your own
2: home yes in the comfort <laughs> of your own home um as far as the prep goes um most stool panels will recommend holding medications as well as probiotics for a two-week window and then some medications like PPIs as well as NSAIDs. Antibiotics, antifungals. Um, some will have a shorter time period, like the PPIs and NSAIDs, for a five-day, but two weeks off of antibiotics. We do agree with two weeks off of antibiotics and even push that further to encourage two weeks post-antibiotic probiotic recovery. And then we would have an individual hold their probiotic for about three to five days. Um, same would be with berberine, which would be you know a natural antifungal and antibacterial. Um, But generally speaking, about three to five days of holding. And when I'm doing repeat stool panels and that individual is committed to taking, let's say, for instance, the targeted strength probiotic and the rebuild spectrum, I may actually have them take as normal and not hold at all because I want to see the true influence of their stool with consistency of use of shred probiotic. So if you see sterility and you know that they've been off of, you know, a combination of 90 billion colony forming units of gut bacteria then that may not be a good representative of what they look like when they're using their probiotics so for a first time stool assessment i generally have someone hold their probiotics for three to five days Um, but for someone that's doing a repeat i'll actually keep them status quo but i don't test during an active bacterial cleanse whether they're using pharmacological agents like antibiotics or antifungals or using natural compounds like berberine, GI Reset, etc. Yes,
1: and a lot of us, two weeks without digestate or two weeks without our probiotics sounds like a really long time. Yep. So I think that's super, super um, reasonable to kind of get a baseline and then... If we are retesting to just continue those as
2: and same thing, normal. you know, testing as as influential of what you're assessing. Sure. And so, if someone is reliant on use of digestive enzymes, and then we have them hold them, then seeing that fecal malabsorption of fat or muscle fibers, which would be protein malabsorption, or vegetable fibers. Is going to be kind of irrelevant to how they're performing on a daily basis. Yep. So yep. if you're actively working, maybe test during your active
1: intervention. Okay. So let's go ahead and just walk through an example report. If you're wondering what we're looking at, um, you can head on over to AllieMillerRD.com labs and click on the comprehensive digestive stool analysis three-day test. Um, And there you can see an example report. We're going to go through a little bit of a a case study just to give you guys um, some of the examples of what we see in clinic and best practice and best interventions. Or you can use your stool test if you've already done one and kind of follow along. Um, So starting on the first page, this is where we see an analysis of both bacteria and yeast. And it's got these pretty green, yellow, and red colors to kind of catch our eye um, starting from the top. So let's go through... Um, What is assessed in terms of expected and beneficial flora first?
2: Yes. So in expected and beneficial, this is an area where we like to see threes and fours. So you'll see no growth or NG if there is not present strain of this beneficial flora. And the two that I'm most concerned about honing in on is that second and fourth one listed, the bifidobacterium species and the lactobacillus species. Because These have been the most shown in research to support beneficial digestive environment as well as whole body health. Um, so that Bifidobacterium and that Lactobacillus, I like to see those at a four, ideally at minimum a three, and then you'd like to see threes or so on the other beneficial flora strain. When we move into the yellow zone of commensal or imbalanced flora, these are kind of thought of if we think of the gut as a garden bed in the body, the commensal is kind of like a wildflower, whereas the dysbiotic flora is a weed. And it is important to note that of the commensal imbalanced flora. Some some of them will be marked commensal, but if they are at a higher presence in the gut, meaning a plus three or plus four, they could become a dysbiotic flora strain. And so there are there's a little bit of discrepancy, if you will, within that wildflower bed of the commensal flora. So we're looking at things here like alpha hemolytic strep. We're looking at bacillus species in here, um, and some of these again, if they were increased, like the um, strep is going to be more of an an ear nose throat compound and that's where we would look at for that individual if that child is experiencing significant ear nose and throat drama we would consider more of support for colloidal silver nasal spray or good nasal hygiene um, and if this was a pregnant individual that had the, the group strep b the beta hemolymic strep Group B, we'd be concerned about, or a woman of future fertility for that impact of strep B. Um, And so we'd really be working on vaginal inserts of the women's flora probiotic and probably doing, if not pregnant yet, the beat the bloat cleanse to push that that reset button. So some of the comments are not as neutral as a beautiful wildflower. Sure. Yes. (laughs) Some can still drive distress in the body. And again, I've seen. Compounds um, like a Klebsiella pneumoniae, which could be yellow at a one or a two, but then would be a red pathogen if it's a three or a four.
1: Yes, and and we can see those commensal. Like the more of them there are, I always tell clients they're still taking up space yes. where we want our beautiful crops that we're planting to grow. So if we're overtaken with wildflowers, that can be problematic too.
2: Absolutely, and you know there is that competitive inhibition. So mm-hmm. in that commensal section, I generally say trying to keep a score under six. Is good, And if you're going way over six, so even if it's plus twos of, you know, eight different strains, then that's going to be still remarkable and not allow for that expected beneficial flora that we want for good gut outcomes. And that's someone that could still potentially fail a probiotic challenge sure. because they're just overburdened
1: with that overgrowth, if you yep. will. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. And then the dysbiotic is like, this is a definite bad guy.
2: Yes. So the dysbiotic flora is one that can cause disease in the body or is disease causing and would also be considered more of a gut infection. if you will so uh, looking at compounds like enterobacter cloche would be one we this is a gram-negative bacterium and is considered dysbiotic when it gets to that three plus level Um, this is going to be an opportunistic pathogen that can drive chronic diarrhea Um, we could also see in here things like salmonella we could see E. coli in this section Um, and this is where we definitely need to warrant active treatment in an aggressive way and That's what's really unique about this panel is that we will see beyond the pathogens that are identified an assessment towards the end of the panel that looks at natural antibacterials and prescriptive agents and what level of sensitivity or resistance they have. This is super important because often with gut pathogen, we have a lot of superbugs out there Mm -hmm. and superbugs are often resistant to many forms of antibiotics. So they may not respond to, for instance, amoxicillin, or they may not respond to the sulfa drugs or um, the citrof- uh, ciproflaxin, which is a known used drugs in the hospital setting. Um, and so when we're looking at what works best, we always like to start with the natural compounds and we're selecting compounds that have the highest sensitivity. So we see maybe with something like Klebsiella pneumoniae that berberine would be the highest sensitivity followed by oregano. And then third, we see that uva ursi then we know that we're right on track. If we're going to do that four a day of the berberine boost, we're going to be having them take two to three of the herbal immune, which would have that oregano compound. And then that uva ursi and caprylic acid and black walnut are also, as well as grapefruit seed extract are all going to be found in that GI reset formula. So you're getting that synergy of those other players to layer in. If they all have sensitivity, if something has low sensitivity, that would not be worth a poignant intervention. Um, but I will say often there's not just one pathogen. So I right. have worked with individuals where we'll maybe see low sensitivity of berberine, but they also had uh, yeast presence in the microscopic assessment. And then the PCR assessment identified two strains of pathogenic yeast. Well, we're going to want to keep, or maybe even prior to pathogen, just yeast presence, um, but potentiality of pathogen, we're going to want to keep that berberine in
1: there because it is a powerful antifungal. Yeah. So more often than not beat the blow is always the first line of recommendation. And then it's like, okay, we're going to layer the GI reset because you showed sensitivity also to black walnut and there was a parasite too. Yes. Um, and then we might layer in something, um, you know, from outside of our line, like Extra grapefruit seed extract or uh, the silver, uh, colloidal silver spray if those pathogens are showing. Um, that they are going to be eradicated. Yes.
2: And I've even layered in tinctures of uva ursi to higher dose, especially if the individual has interstitial cystitis or some bladder. UTIs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. If there's bladder drama, even though there is uva ursi in the GI reset, I'll I'll layer on some more there. And then, you know, another tool that we'll use that can help to fight parasite as well as dysbiotic yeast is the rebuild spectrum Mm -hmm. probiotic. So this is often the only probiotic that I would keep in during a protocol of a gut cleanse. Um, And sometimes like during the beat the bloat, in the classic way we do it, we hold all probiotics. But if an individual has already done that and we're on a second round cleanse, I'll often keep them on that if they still have some forms of resistant yeast because the Saccharomyces boulardii can really serve as a positive yeast culture and that can really fight off um, or serve as a competitive inhibitor to the dysbiotic yeast in the body as well.
1: Yes, so this individual not only do they have that dysbiotic bacteria, um, they've got some yeast present as well. And this test looks at yeast in two different ways because yeast can be kind of a little bit tricky to analyze in the stool. Like it's not going to appear maybe in every single yes. sample. And that's why we want you to do three samples. Three Same thing with the the parasites. So one day really isn't enough um, because they kind of hang out, they hide, or maybe that individual is actually skipping days of bowel movements or, um, you know, having more yeast in one versus the other based on diet and whatnot. Um, so they do a a culture, uh, of yeast where they try to see like, what is the strain? Can we identify? Mm -hmm. And then they also do a microscopic analysis for, um, signs of yeast in the stool. And so both of those were positive in this individual. And that's why we're saying beat the bloat, berberine for sure. Um, as well as these additional compounds.
2: Yes. And then the panel goes on to identify as well details of viruses that are known to be gastrointestinal, such as rotavirus. Uh, It's a big one we think of in daycares, norovirus, and adenovirus. Um, It goes on to further assess additional pathogenic bacteria that are seen more in the medicals. So this is kind of like the medical field screen, which includes the E. coli, the Salmonella, the Shigella, as well as um, the C. diff and Campylobacter. And then there are parasites assessed in this stool panel. And the parasites are assessed in various forms. So they'll actually look at the protozoa. The nematodes um, the tapeworms and the flukes so we're seeing active and inactive form of parasite very thorough you're going to get basically a negative or a positive if those were assessed and if we see anything in the world of pathogen, pathogenic yeast, or parasite, or virus, we're going to want to treat it immediately. And if it especially was a virus or a seen pathogenic bacteria on the back, which is more of the medical-induced ones, or page two, that is, I believe, or three, um, those are the ones that we're going to want to also repeat a follow-up test yep. to confirm eradication. And we also advocate for this, as we talked about in our H. pylori episode. You know, once you see a presence of one of these pathogenic compounds, and you treat it, you want to make sure your treatment was successful. So following up with just reassessing the microbiology part or just reassessing the parasite part, and that's something you can request through your practitioner. If you have ordered the three-day stool test through us, that does include a customized email review with Becky or myself, where we will recommend interventions. And if you did have one of those pathogens, we can also, also offer a custom reorder of just retesting that compound. Sure and then probably in six months we'd want you to rerun the whole panel to see the other markers of gut inflammation which we'll unpack now
1: yes so if we've got all this stuff going on like uh, bad bacteria and parasites we already kind of know in our heads like there's likely inflammation um, and there's likely something going on with their um, gut lining integrity especially in the case of long-standing parasites And if their good bacteria is low, we're thinking of this individual as kind of like immunocompromised anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, So we want to kind of inquire on some of that information. And and when you do an email lab review, uh, we have you fill out a form to give us more information on like, these are the symptoms I'm presenting with. This is what's actually happening Mm -hmm. in my body so that we can look at that along with the data. So I think that's a really good point. You've got to look at the clinical presentation. Is this person suffering from severe... Your diarrhea? Did they just have a foodborne illness? Um, Because some of those, you know, flags of of like the Campylobacter might show up from food or water. Do they have a lot of pets and they're showing up with Giardia? And you know, we know their dog just got that from the dog park, so we need to treat them as well. Um, But. Maybe let's get into the inflammatory markers that that we'd also look at.
2: So that's a good point. I think, Becky, if something, if an individual is dealing with inflammatory bowel disease or chronic gut infections, we're absolutely going to see an elevation in the inflammation and immunology area. If it's someone that has a fluke foodborne illness and they likely are going to recover, we're still going to want to reset with the beat the bloat cleanse, but they may not need as much intervention. Sure. Um, And so that's why I really lean into the inflammation and immunology part of the panel mm <laughs> we look at markers such as lactoferrin and calprotectin. These are reliable markers for differentiating organic inflammation in the inflammatory bowel disease world from function symptoms of IBS. So if we see elevated lactoferrin and calprotectin, that's going to be an indicator of more of an inflammatory bowel disease individual. And this is going to be one that we're going to want to monitor through our interventions to bring them into a remissive state, getting that calprotectin level less than 50 i really strive to get that less than 30 in my patients and that lactoferrin level under um, 7.3 which is the reference range but also we strive to get that value under six So going a little bit beyond there, and um, these would be elevated also as something to consider if you did only a one-day stool test and you maybe didn't catch that pathogen or that parasite. And if the lactoferrin is up, you know that there's a battle. If the calprotectin is only up, you know that there could just be inflammation. So that could be more um, autoimmune-mediated and maybe more leaky gut MRT-mediated. And lysosomes are another marker we look at, which would be more specific based on gut infection. Um, This is going to play a big role also with driving that immunological response to something that the body's trying to battle. Yes. Um, So when we see those lysosomes up, that's another indicator of that chronic gut inflammation. We try to keep lysosome values under 500, ideally trying to keep them under 400, Um, and then in the immunology world we look at secretory iga and this is secreted by our mucosal tissue i actually talk about secretory iga in the anti-anxiety diet a lot because this is a marker that we see highly associated with stress we can test secretory iga through the saliva as well as the stool And we'll often see an excess output or a high level during a active gut infection or if the immune system is trying to battle something. Also, we know that mental and emotional stress alone can drive up secretory IgA. And that's where I talk about stress literally drilling holes in your gut. So when your body perceives fight or flight stress response, secretory IgA levels often go up and that actually creates intestinal permeability as a mechanism of the immune system trying to battle what the gut's not able to eradicate. Um, But it could be stress alone and not a pathogen or parasite or gut virus. So something to really watch if everything else looks good, calprotectin looks good, and lactoferrin looks good, but your client has a high secretory IgA, and no known gut infection, then they really need Calm and Clear yeah. and GABA Calm and CBD oil. And um, no matter what, if secretary IgA is off, we have to work with the GI mucosa and immunoglobulins.
1: Yes, absolutely. So if secretary IgA is high, we're battling something actively or, or there's some stressor, whether it's internal from pathogen, external from food sensitivity and and maybe that individual if there is no known pathogen you know they start on the gi lining support Mm -hmm. and they go on to do the mrt protocol because they're like i'm having significant you know gi symptoms but there's nothing (laughs) going on in my gut my good bacteria looks good maybe i need a probiotic and a digestive enzyme but like all is is good in that world um and then if it's low that's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum we want it kind of meeting somewhere in the middle if it's low that tells me there's likely been like a long standing yes. battle like this individual who has multiple you know uh, dysbiotic flora they've got yeast going on uh they're a little immunocompromised and they have you know a parasite and they've been battling this maybe for years since yeah. that like you know, trip that they took abroad where they got food poisoning.
2: Or again, it could be the individual that is uh, in a high stress job that mm-hmm. just got a divorce or lost a loved one and their secretory Ig levels could totally plummet. Totally. Um, and so when the levels are are high, we think of the gut in an active inflammation battle mode when the levels are low we think of that mucosal membrane being highly um, compromised and really we think of leaky gut as a huge indicator here when the secretory iga is low so we would use immunoglobulins actually in both worlds as well as our gi lining support with both highs and lows because the gi lining support has that l-glutamine as well as the dgl or diglycerized licorice root which is oopy goopy and repairs ulceration and then that also has the aloe in there which provides more of that cooling anti-inflammatory mucilaginous support and the l-glutamine is a fuel source for our gut cells helping to actually feed fuel and repair gut lining and so the gi lining support we would use if secretory iga is up or down we would also use the gi lining support if lactoferrin is up or calprotectin or there's any indicator of gut inflammation because we have to protect the gut lining and support it with anti-inflammatory Uh, Tools, Um, I would say, as you mentioned, Becky, that also leans into the digestive essentials. I believe it is bundle, um, which has the GI lining support, Mm -hmm. the digest aid and the restore baseline probiotic, because you just mentioned, you know, maybe that's all you need. Again, that might be a place to start because that way you could do the probiotic challenge using the restore baseline. You could take our digestive enzyme, which we'll talk enzymes and malabsorption next. Um, And then you have that GI lining support. And that might be resolution without the bells and whistles of the assessment. Totally. Anyway, yes. So GI lining support is essential. And then let's talk about immunoglobulins, what those are, and our new product, the GI Immune
1: Protect. Yes, we are super excited to bring you guys this GI Immune Protect. So both Allie and myself have been using immunoglobulins clinically for quite some time now. Um, However, you know, having to pull from outside of our Line And we're always concerned, of course, about the best integrity and sourcing. So we decided to just go ahead and develop our own so that we have that as a tool. And I really started using these maybe more in my like pediatric population, Um, really started working with the immunoglobulins, you know, with Noah um, around like his three, four month age when he was having some eczema cradle cap and just kind of preparing his gut for Baby led weaning and what was to come, uh, but we've come a long way in terms of using them with our IBD patients and, yes. and certainly with um, patients dealing with you know chronic leaky gut, um, those highly stressed individuals, and those immunocompromised individuals with really good success.
2: So immunoglobulins work differently than the L-glutamine, DGL, and aloe vera that are in the GI lining support. So the GI lining support is providing us that amino acid that's that fuel source for our gut cells along with the mucilaginous oopy-goopy stuff. So that's working to support gut lining. But the GI Immune Protect has two active compounds. So immunoglobulins, now that we've alluded to them a couple times, are generally produced by your immune system and immunoglobulins aid in recognition of antigens. And when an individual is having more food sensitivity, inflammation, or inflammation from, again, chronic pathogen, or even just a one-time significant gut infection, often immunoglobulin production can be hindered and the immunoglobulins that align in the GALT or the gut-associated lymphatic tissue can be compromised. And this is what is a huge driver of that autoimmune disease. So we know when we look at like breast milk, that colostrum, that first breast milk that's produced is super rich in priming baby with immunoglobulins. And so we, at times I've used actually colostrum formulas, uh, with children and adults of any age that have significant inflammatory bowel disease or autoimmune conditions. The issue there is of course, dancing with dairy. And so we have selected our immunoglobulins to come from serum derived bovine immunoglobulin concentrated, uh, super from clean Grass fed New Zealand cows. So, we're using the same sourcing that we're using for our grass fed whey, but we are using serum derived. So, this is a dairy free concentration of immunoglobulins. And they also will have a good amount of the immunoglobulin G in each scoop. So, each scoop is getting 2.5 grams of immunoglobulin concentrate of that 1.1 grams of immunoglobulin G. And then we combine that with N-acetyl-D-glucosamine. We also often think of glucosamine for like joint inflammation Mm -hmm. and bones, but glucosamine is going to aid as maintaining that structural integrity in that gut lining further protecting that barrier defense.
1: Yes. And so this is a product I would say is a layer (coughs) on top of, if we're already using the GI lining support, really works in a different mechanism. So you would use both in an individual who's dealing with significant leaky gut or significantly compromised gut barrier.
2: Yes. So in the stool test, bringing that back around, this would be used for an individual that has either a low or high secretory IGA, but most especially if it's low, we want that secretory IGA level to be at a minimum of 50. That reference range is 30 to 275, so quite a wide range. Um, But getting that up with the combination of both the GI lining support and the immunoglobulins and using our GI immune protect as the formula there. And then we would think of for this individual using bone broth as a therapeutic, as well as gelatin to provide that oopy goopy support for gut integrity as well.
1: Yes. And I love the powder form of this product, A, for flexible dosing. So when we've used like colostrum or other IgG products in the past, I've had clients who've had to take like six to eight to nine capsules to get effective doses of those immunoglobulins. And that's a lot to deal with when we've already got a whole you know laundry list of of supplements they're taking. Um, and also it can be used um, in more of just an immune support, Kind of general setting versus the GI lining support. I think of that as more, you know, direct um, gut integrity. But the immunoglobulins we could add to, you know, a kiddo's smoothie if they're dealing with viral pathogen, yes, totally. um, stomach virus or or otherwise cold, flu, COVID, you name it. Similar to how we talk about the grass fed. Way having those immunoglobulins and i would do a scoop of both i would still do the scoop of totally grass-fed whey um, and then add like one to two scoops of the gi immune protect um, really across the board children and adults i think could benefit from that use
2: awesome okay so getting back to the stool assessment aside from the gut inflammation we have two other areas to explore short chain fatty acids and then digestive enzymes and malabsorption yes So in the short-chain fatty acids, we're going to look at a percent of the short-chain fatty acids, including acetate, propionate, butyrate and valerate, and then we're actually going to get a measurement in milligrams per milliliter of butyrate. And this is really important because butyrate is going to be a marker as a protector against colon cancer, as well as inflammation overall in the body. We've seen that butyrate actually can support not only gut epithelial lining, but also respiratory epithelial lining. So maintaining a healthy, robust butyrate level is going to be beneficial for that individual beyond the gut, even in their overall immune function. And when that's too low, we think of that as a risk factor for colon cancer. So short-chain fatty acids overall are going to be the end products of our bacterial fermentation, and they interplay with our dietary fibers or non-digestible food particles. Our beneficial flora eat away at this fiber, and then they produce these short-chain fatty acids. Short-chain fatty acids play a role with energy as a fuel source for our body. They play a role with metabolism and can even play a role down to the level of how blood sugar is metabolized and how hormones are metabolized in the body. Um, The integrity of our gut can be supported by healthy short-chain fatty acids as well. And the short-chain fatty acids can influence the pH of the body. They can actually contribute a more acidic, anaerobic microenvironment, and that is unfavorable or fights against dysbiotic bacteria and yeast. Yes, and the way I look at this, like
1: we've already gone through the bacteria, the yeast, the parasite. Um, This just kind of is going to echo what we see there, that yes. there's clear imbalance in the good to bad Microbes. And we see that lacto and bifido bacteria that we talked about in the beginning being some of the primary producers of the short chain fatty acids that we want to see in the body. Um, And so if short chain fatty acids are Um, on the elevated side and those percentages are off high, I think of over-fermentation, like we're getting that like brewing beer in the belly. There's likely a lot of like gas, belching, you know, diarrhea or, um, you know, abnormal stool. Um, And then too low, I think of as more of like a sterilized environment where we just don't have enough good guys. And so, you know, once this individual that we're talking about today goes through their cleanse, we'd really want to hone in and focus on rebuilding, you know, those good bacteria with our bacteria rebuild bundle. And that includes our phytofiber. That's a really good way if your short chain fatty acids are imbalanced or low. Um, I think of that as like the fertilizer. Once we yes. give the probiotic as the seed, we need to actually fertilize the gut and give, you know, those good bacteria something to ferment and grow on
2: yes and that's also the importance of why we take more of a mediterranean approach to a ketogenic diet because we know that those plant-based fibers are necessary for that fuel source for that fermentation process to be protective in that colon tissue as well as synergistically support a healthy microbiome balanced environment so the phytofiber is a great plant-based whole food fiber supplement to get that on a daily and then following our food is medicine approaches of getting those cups of leafy greens, getting those cruciferous vegetables is all going to come into fruition to create that balance. Yes. and I'll often
1: add like chia seeds if we're seeing imbalance there too, but you want to wait until you've gotten rid of the bad guys because they can ferment that stuff too. And that's yes. just going to create, if you just dump phytofiber on top of, of your cleanse and you're already dealing with some significant dysbiosis and pathogen, that's just going to create more ferment fermentation and bubble gut and no bueno.
2: Totally, totally. And and that's why, you know, often the FODMAP diet is going to be low sure. in a lot of those fibers just because it's a way to try to starve
1: off, but you also still need to do the gut cleanse. Yeah. Um, and then digestive and absorptive markers, we kind of cruised over um, that part. I alluded a little bit to um, digestive enzymes, but let's talk about those markers. And then there are some other markers uh, that are assessed as well.
2: So the biggest thing that we look at for digestion and absorption is the elastase. And this is the marker of your digestive enzyme production from your pancreas. Again, if you are relying on digestive enzymes, you'd want to take them going into the test to see how you perform with current use. If you aren't currently taking them, you know we'll just see how you perform and if they're required. And beyond looking at the elastase levels, which I like over 400, um, I'm looking at fat stain. And so we'd like to see that non-detected, which would mean no steatorrhea, no fatty stool, and then carbohydrates, uh, making sure that those are negative. There's no malabsorption of carbohydrates. I will say in individuals that are eating a pretty high fat diet and they might be eating like a fat bomb or something like that if their elastase is still above 400 and they don't have any carbohydrate malabsorption there's just a few or rare amount of fat stain that's not going to be as disturbing to me but if we look at the other markers and we also see muscle fibers detected and vegetable fibers detected then that individual totally needs some enzyme support. Um, so things to consider there, and that would be the digest aid, and that would be taken prior to foods because we're seeing malabsorption in the stool. Basically, you're not absorbing those nutrients. They're passing through intact, and we need enzyme support, which is basically creating a chemical environment to break down and digest the foods you're eating so that those nutrients can be assimilated and absorbed
1: in that blood gut barrier yes and i've seen pretty remarkable rebound of that pancreatic elastase and the stool test like has some scary thing about you know pancreatic insufficiency and if you read it without a practitioner going through it it can be scary but i've seen really remarkable rebound where that was in like the teens and maybe we work with digestive enzymes you know probably two at every meal if they're significantly low um, for a good you know 12 weeks or so retest that usually is going to see a significant rebound and that individual's also seeing significant improvement in you know bloating distension gas fatty stools all of the things that they were dealing with
2: absolutely and one of the things that i always like to note is that the digestate our digestive enzymes support the digestive enzyme production. It's not going to create dependency and a lazy pancreas, quote unquote. You're actually going to support that production pathway and and get better outcomes from use. And then over time, you may not need as much.
1: Yep. And then just a couple of other markers assessed. Um, So we're looking for um, red blood cells, white blood cells, and mucus in the Mm -hmm. stool as three other indications uh, that something might be... Off, um, and so the red blood cells in that sense, I'm thinking of more of like a fissure or, or a tear. Um, if it's red blood cells, likely coming more from like the rectal area versus higher up in right. the colon. Uh, but that could be an indication that there's you know significant ulceration or or um, you know something going on in the GI tract.
2: Right, and then if there's occult blood, we would know that that would be higher. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking. Um, As far as looking at that in the stool. So the red blood cells would be more if there was like an anal fissure, like you mentioned. Uh, We also look at pH and then we look at color and consistency. So, so many different biomarkers and so many different ways to understand what's the most important intervention. When we're looking at the comprehensive digestive stool assessment, we are looking at what bacteria is living in your body and a thorough assessment of your microbiome, including yeast and bacteria flora. We are assessing parasitology in various forms in, again, three-day collection to make sure we don't miss anything in a sample. We are looking at a comprehensive assessment of malabsorption and where your digestive processes are at, what your inflammation in the gut is looking like, and if you're at risk for leaky gut with that secretory IgA, or if you are someone that may have inflammatory bowel disease with that calprotectin and lactoferrin. And then we're kind of weaving things together by assessing those short chain fatty acids, the pH, the blood, and those other biomarkers. So extremely extremely informative and although you can start with a simpler approach of just doing the beat the blow cleanse or maybe even simpler with the digestive basics bundle and looking at the digest aid and the use of the probiotic challenge and just coating the gut with the GI lining support if you need to dig deeper and you've already done our gut cleanse and um, you're not seeing as good of outcomes as you'd like to see, you can go on over to AllieMillerRD.com and you can check out um, under labs, our comprehensive digestive stool assessment, and we will give you a hundred dollar discount and it will just be podcast 100. Have we used that code yet? great question. Or we can call it stool 100. How about stool that? 100. Stool we 100. Not 100. Totally I know not we have not used, used that. that one. So stool 100 um, and we will use that um, throughout the end of this year. Okay. So those of you that are listening can take advantage of that.
1: And real quick before we let y'all go, um, we promised a little bit of comparison between like some of the other um, direct to consumer or on the market stool tasks that you might come across um so we mentioned that you know if you're going to your doctor's office and requesting a stool test you're likely not getting anything very thorough um, if you're going to a gi doc and you're dealing with inflammatory bowel that's been diagnosed they there at least look at your calprotectin and hopefully and might look at some other things uh, but not super comprehensive and then there are these other tests like the viome test yes. um, that i believe you can just order direct to consumer and, and they work with like um, you know these AI algorithms, algorithms. Yes. yes that's the word I was so, looking for
2: <laughs> so that's the one thing I would call out about the Viome test um, I have seen some pretty comprehensive Um, accounts of the microbiome uh, strains. They use an RNA quantification um, assessment, and then they basically run it through this AI analysis. And so they do these pathway scores, which are kind of interesting. So they actually look at something like a butyrate pathway But that is an assumption made based on the bacterial presence. Mm -hmm. They're not actually giving you a scoring of those milligrams per ml of butyrate. So we don't truly know the assessment there. There's no assessment of the gut inflammation or leaky gut. They have, again... A leaky gut pathway scoring, but all I can find from the information on their site and digging into the science behind the lab is that they're only pulling that RNA quantification. So again, not looking at secretory, not looking at secretory IgA, not looking at lactoferrin or calprotectin. We're not seeing the malabsorption elements, and there's not even tight discrepancy of your bacteria flora of which ones are commensal or dysbiotic or favorable. They're just kind of numbered at the end as a big, long list. And they're trying to give you all this information through their AI analysis. And so I really prefer looking at true data versus an algorithm from some data points to create an intervention and an outcome. And I think that when we look at the gold standard in the literature, we know that, yes, there's always going to be the trending new kids on the block. Mm -hmm. um, But the assessments that we include in the CDSA are far superior and more clinically sound and supported by peer-reviewed medical journals as assessments of
1: gut health totally and and you know looking at the clinical presentation i think and working with someone who has seen this information before versus the the biome spits out this recommendation of here's the supplements you should take and it's like okay a probiotic, yeah, duh. And then, um, you know, we saw on one uh, analysis like 32 milligrams of N-acetylcysteine and we're like, we dose in like grams, which is a thousand milligrams (laughs) and and just didn't look to me like effective doses. And when I've had clients, you know, come in with this information, like we can glean some, you know, semblance of, okay, your microbiome's imbalanced, but like we're still going to (laughs) want to run our stool test down the line, um, and then I think the Viome also um, does a little bit in terms of, of like foods that would be beneficial, especially based on I think like the butyrate scores and based on short chain fatty acid analysis, or based on the bacteria well, it's present. Well, just the pathways. Actually. It doesn't really it doesn't really add up, and and you know obviously it's like a copyrighted whatever AI technology, but right. It's not super comprehensive. I think
2: the whole idea of the my microbiome's response to said foods doesn't make much sense. Um, They're just pulling the idea of the particular phyto compounds of the foods and how they can support beneficial gut flora. Um, But again, it's not unique to your body. It's just pulled as an AI pull from a research study. And those foods you could still have an immunological inflammatory response to. And so, definitely like the food avoidance and such from here is nothing comparable to like an MRT test. You're right. much better off looking at your inflammatory response based on your immune system versus a potential microbiome response based on a AI pathway. Yes, so, so, save your say, money. <laughs> yes, save your money on that. And maybe even save your money on all stool tests. But if you need one, definitely go on over to AllieMillerRD.com. We will put the link in the show notes. And that one will come with a customized review. Uh, if you've run your stool before um, or you have a family member that's dealing with some significant gut distress, this could be a really helpful episode to forward to them to understand if their doctor's putting them from Stellara to Humira and switching up their biologic drugs time and time again because they're not getting in remission of maybe looking at some more of these root causes that are driving their inflammatory bowel disease. Thank you for listening. Today was kind of nerdy, but hopefully very helpful as well. Uh, Tune in next week to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to wherever you are listening, whether that's Google Play or Spotify or Apple iTunes. And go ahead and leave us a five-star review about what you love about our nerdy application of functional medicine and empowering you guys through food as medicine and nutritional supplementation.